Amen. Great to gather with you again, starting our week off worshiping God and looking at his word. There's an old saying, only the strong survive. Um, it probably came out of uh, you know, the survival of the fittest by, you know, when Darwin talked about that. But the Bible always supported that same notion of how important it is to be strong. When Joshua took over for Moses, as God told him, hey, Moses is dead, then three times in four verses, he said, be strong and of good courage. We saw a couple of weeks ago in Luke 2, talking about Jesus as a little kid, it said he grew strong in spirit. In Ephesians 6, Paul tells the Ephesian Christians, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. There's a lot of truth to the fact that if we can't figure out how to be strong, then we will never be effective. And in fact, the strong survive, the weak don't. And in Matthew chapter 15, we read in this chapter, Jesus kind of driving home this message in an interesting way. First of all, using the weakness of the Pharisees as an example, and then pointing at a gutsy Syrophoenician Gentile woman and showing this is what persistence and strength actually looks like. And so turn to Matthew chapter 15. Part of Jesus' task was to toughen up his disciples before he would leave, and now they would have to face a lot of opposition. But if it's true that the strong are the only ones who survive, then I worry about our world. Because I can't see in hardly any segment of society that we see people getting stronger than they used to be. People are becoming more frail, more sensitive, more offended. Whether I look at people who don't know God and they're offended by everything. And I look at Christians and so often they're whimpering babies, you know, just, you know, so fragile and everyone's offended by everything. The worst thing to be right now is a comedian or a pastor. Because like anything you say, somebody's going to get mad about it because we're such babies. So let's look at Matthew 15 and, you know, uh, if, if this message offends you, I'm not sorry at all. Because <laughs> you would hate Jesus. You're better off following some sissy religion. But, okay, Matthew 15. Then the scribes and Pharisees, Jewish leaders, who were from Jerusalem, came to Jesus. Now, they came all the way from Jerusalem up to the Galilee specifically to show him. And they did this a lot. And they said, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. They saw that the disciples were, now whether they were referring to all of the ritual cleansings that they did, or whether it was like they just picked up bread and ate it, it isn't clear from the text, and I don't even think it matters. But they were saying, you know, your disciples just pick up the bread and eat it. Do you know where those hands have been? Do you know where that food has been? You don't, you know, they were really concerned about this. And Jesus answered and said to them, change the subject a little. 
He said, so you think they're breaking the law by not washing their hands. Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father and mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. So he said, you guys will, you know, the Bible says to honor your father and mother. But if your father and mother need help financially, what you do is say, oh, I've already pledged that to God. Everything that I have belongs to God, so I can't help you. He said, you guys find a loophole as to why you don't help your own parents And you're worried about my disciples not washing their hands? And then he says, hypocrites, verse 7. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, and quoting Isaiah 42, These people draw near to me with your mouth. You talk a good game. Honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. He goes, you bunch of phonies. You come here talking to me about my disciples eating without washing their hands, and you are hypocrites. You aren't even showing concern to your own families. Now, this deeply offended them, but they weren't going to, they couldn't possibly argue with him about the law, so apparently they just went slinking off with their feelings hurt planning on how they could come back and have him killed by somebody else. But then he called the people, to the multitude, to himself in verse 10, and he said to them, hear and understand. Here's what I want you to understand. Here's the message that they, the Pharisees don't get. It isn't what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but it's what comes out of the mouth this defiles a man. So he goes... They're worried about what's going in. I'm telling you what's going out is the real corruption, is the real problem. They didn't really understand what he's saying, but the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Like, Jesus, I think you hurt their feelings. I mean, people didn't want to hurt the feelings of Pharisees because they were so fragile and so sensitive. And he answered and said, Every plant which my father, my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. I don't care if they're offended. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a ditch. And then Peter goes, oh, well, then explain this parable to us. And Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated or literally is is ejected into the toilet. You understand how that works, right? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands, that does not defile a man. 
I mean, if you were offended before by what he said, you get what he's saying here? He's going, understand this. Whatever it is that's on your hands, that goes on your food, that goes into your stomach, you know where it's supposed to go? It's, there's a part of your body that is there specifically to eject all of that, and you'll pass it just fine. But he said, these phonies are actually using their mouth to do what the other end of their body is supposed to be doing. When you are talking, as the biblical term, dung, then you've got things turned around. You're worried about something that your body knows how to put it out, but you're putting it out through your mouth? And they were like, hmm, I don't know if we should laugh. or, uh, Yeah, that does seem kind of unreasonable. Um, Jesus was like, not very sensitive in the way that he would talk to people. And, I, and I'm not saying that, that oh, you know, you, you shouldn't wash your hands. I, I don't know. When COVID started, they said, you need to wash your hands all the time, and you need to do it long enough to sing happy birthday, or I would use Jesus loves me. So I'm there, Jesus loves me. This and then they found out that washing your hands absolutely does nothing to prevent COVID, so then we went back to just, okay, I'm fine. (laughs) But there's something about an obsession with cleaning what goes into your body that's just kind of overly, you know, they talk about being anal, anal retentive as being somebody who's overly concerned with that whole process. I, I remember I was raised by a mom, so you know, we had to be pretty careful and there were certain things that you had to be meticulous about. But I was thankful for men who came into my life, like Pastor Romaine at Calvary Costa Mesa. Uh, You know, I've never been so impressed by a man in my life as one time when some of the pastors said, oh, there's a toilet that stopped up in the sanctuary. Romaine goes, okay, let me check. He goes in there and it was just full and it was a mess. And he just rolls up his suit coat and he shoves his hand in there, pulls it around, flushes it, brush it, knocks it off like this, pulls his sleeve back down. He goes, is it good? Like, yeah. And he doesn't even go wash his hands. He just heads out to shake hands with people and stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, I learned something about being a man at that moment that I was like, I, maybe that's disgusting to you, but there was something refreshing about it to me. Sorry. And Pastor Chuck was that way. I remember one time I was with Chuck, and there's this huge spider. And I'm looking around for a Kleenex, and he just takes his hand and smashes it and then wipes it on his, on his pants and doesn't even skip a beat. And Jesus is sort of going, do you guys want to be like these guys? Do you want to be like overly obsessed, a bunch of babies that are always, wor- oh, no, I might get dirty. I might, don't worry. Your body is designed to take care of all kinds of impurities. If you knew everything that was in the food that you eat, but you know what? Magically, your body is designed to take care of all that. Don't be obsessed with things that aren't that big of a deal or that somehow make you much more sensitive. Now, after giving them this lecture, then he takes them immediately to the area of Tyre and Sidon on the coast of the Mediterranean there. And this was Gentile territory. 
and they met a woman who was, Mark tells us she was from Syrophoenicia. So she was from that Gentile area of the land that today would be part of some of, some of uh, Israel, some of Lebanon, some of Syria. So she's a Gentile, and she becomes an example that Jesus uses to drive this point home. There was a woman in verse 22 of Canaan who came from that region and cried out to him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. You don't know for sure, but most likely this is a single mom. And her daughter's being harassed by demons, and she's desperate. And she's calling him the son of David, but she's not Jewish. and she's, not, she's just trying to say what she thinks you're supposed to say. She knows she's heard that this guy has some power. Now look at the sensitivity with which Jesus deals with this woman. He answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Would you just get rid of this lady? She just keeps making noise. And he finally answered and said to her, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Such a racist statement. That like, sorry, you're not a Jew. I'm not going to help you at all. What an insensitive thing for the Son of God to say. But look at her. She came and worshipped him anyway. That just touches me. And she says, Okay, no son of David. Lord, help me. This is my little girl. But he answered and said, Still, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Most people at this point would have been, Okay, (laughs) you call me a dog? Well, let me tell you a thing or two, or I'm out of here. This was the biggest mistake of my life. To come to you thinking that I would get compassion from you and you are being a jerk to me. But look at this gal. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Gosh, this woman is amazing. This woman won't quit. She is one tough single mom. And Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus had done what he came there to do, and he headed back to Galilee, began healing people. And then finally, at the end of the chapter, he feeds 4,000 men plus women and children, maybe 12,000 people. Like he had done earlier with 5,000, this time he had seven loaves and several fish. Before he had five loaves, two fish. Um, And then that that ends the chapter. Now, when when you look at this, you're like, there's this stark contrast. Here are the religious holy people. And he offended them in the simplest sort of way, and he didn't care about it at all. He looked down on them as being people who were talking garbage, people who didn't really understand the deeper concerns of life itself. And they got easily offended, and they laughed. And then he takes them right to this little gal, doesn't know much about God, 
Doesn't, isn't a Jew, hasn't been taught the thing, but she's heard something about Jesus. And this lady was tough. She would not quit. She would not take no for an answer. She latched onto him and was whatever he said that would, he was using her as an example of this is what it looks like to not be a baby like those, like those Pharisees. This is what a person looks like who lives their life with courage and conviction. And then he kind of drives the whole thing home by feeding you know, 12,000 people and there's no way they wash their hands. They're like, nope, here, we're all passing it out together just to drive the point home that look what I can do with a little and also this t- stuff tastes pretty good, huh? Even though there's really sorry, no place to wash your hands and that kind of fits into the whole narrative. So what do we take away as the, the main message here? Well, first of all, I think it's important for us to understand the law isn't a bad thing. And legalism isn't really a horrible thing when it starts. Because legalism is really good for kids. In order to protect kids from themselves, you have to have strict rules so they don't stick their finger in a socket, so that they don't eat something that, that might be poisonous. So, so you set apart a bunch of rules for kids, and that's the way you raise kids. But the problem is, if you never get past the legalism, I mean, legalistic little kids are safe. Legalistic people, as they grow older, are dangerous. You don't want to raise your kids to be Pharisees. Because here's what happens in legalism. And trust me, growing up as going to church, you know, three times a week and being programmed with all the rules of the church and having, I remember some of the men of the church where I grew up pulling me aside to to tell me that I was sinning by having long hair. And then when they decided that wasn't getting through, then they started, you know, calling me a homosexual because I had long hair. And it's like, so I get that. But here's what legalism does as people get older. (laughs) You either follow the rules... And then you think you're really good, and then you become a Pharisee. You follow the rules so you're better than everyone else, so you look down on everyone else. Or you can't follow the rules, and you feel defeated, and you think you aren't good enough, and you think that God doesn't love you, and you're living your life according to, as Jesus said there, teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. When you talk about legalism, most of the rules that people apply are just made up by people. They're not something that God said. We take some little thing that God says and twist it and try to turn it into something else. For me as a kid growing up, and now a lot of the rules have changed, still rules, they're just different rules, but like Christians couldn't dance. Now, where in the world, in the scripture, did anyone ever come up with that? Well, people made it up. They decided that you can't dance. And for me, I hated dancing anyway, so I was thankful at that point. But, yeah, sorry, I can't. I'm a Christian. But, you know, at the same time, um, smoking was something that Christians don't do. I, we were, before first service, we saw a guy went out to his car to smoke, and 
and then came back in chewing a bunch of gum. And I was telling Jerry about one of my professors at Biola, who was a pastor in Lakewood, went out, he found a guy smoking outside the church, and, and he came and he goes, hey, why don't you just come on in and smoke that thing in church? He had a huge church, and, and the guy goes, oh, pastor, I could never do that. He goes, well, why? He goes, well, that's the Lord's house. And he poked him in the chest. He goes, no, that's the Lord's house. So I'm not saying that smoking is a good thing. I think I, 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 there are people who think if you smoke, you won't go to heaven. I think you'll go there a lot sooner. But <laughs> how did... But how did Christians ever decide that smoking, which is bad for you, is something non-Christian, but church potlucks that fatten us up, that's fellowship. That's great. It's just rules that we make up. So we make these rules. You know, how, oh, a Christian doesn't cuss. Well, what's cussing? I mean, words are words. Now, there are a lot of words that I don't use just because I don't want to explain myself, but I understand. Words are just symbolic. There's no word that God goes, ah, you know, he's all sensitive. They're just words. Not a big deal. But what we have to learn in life as we move forward is, okay, there's a place for rules, but growing up means you learn to you learn from the rules in order to discover what it's like to live freely and to not present yourself in a way that I'm better than you or I'm a failure or you're a failure. And so that starts off there. We, I'm afraid today that Christians look much more like Pharisees than they look like Jesus a lot of times. And it shouldn't be that way. Now, the greatest gift probably that we have as humans, and we got it from the very beginning, was the gift of being able to respond, to be able to make choices. It's huge. If God had made robots instead of people, in a lot of ways it would have been way easier. We know the damage that sin does. Why did God make people with the ability to sin? Apparently, because the power to respond was incredibly important and valuable to him. He wanted people who would choose to follow him, for instance. So having a response, and we have the word responsible, able to respond, it's the greatest privilege that we have in life. Legalism and being overly sensitive not only makes you weak, but it takes away your capacity to respond. And what legalism does is it takes a shortcut to learning responsibility. It's like if you're raising your kids and you get to a certain age and it's like, don't worry about why. I don't care about your process of thinking. Just do what I tell you to do. Again, with little kids, sometimes that's the best you can do. But we have to, our job in raising children and in growing ourselves is to learn how to be responsible and take responsibility for the decisions that we make. Legalism just takes a shortcut to that. And it's not a healthy thing. It's not a maturing thing at all. Now, the thing about learning responsibility, it makes you resilient. It makes you tougher. We started off with only the strong survive. Only when you learn that you aren't a victim, 
that whatever happens, you have an opportunity to respond to it in the best way possible, that makes you resilient. And this little Syrophoenician mom, it's like, that's why she inspires me so much, because it's like, she wasn't going to go, oh, I guess he's not going to do it. He doesn't seem to be listening to me. I'm going to go away with my feelings hurt. She's like, no, I'm not letting go. I am going to stick with it. And if he wants to call me a dog, I'm going to go, dogs get crumbs. Give me a crumb. Her level of responsibility was amazing. And this is a lady, she was one tough lady. And that's why she gets pointed out as an example of this is what life is supposed to look like. And these holy Pharisees get pointed out as a bunch of babies, wham, wham, they're offended. I don't care if they're offended. I don't want you to follow the example of those righteous Pharisees. I want you to learn something from this Gentile woman because she knows what it's like. We will never get through life unless we're resilient. And resilience comes from the ability to be able to respond to a situation. And that's what this woman did. And that's what we need to learn to do. It's one of the reasons why I think sports and competitive activities are so important. Not so that everybody can get a trophy, but so that everyone can figure out you have to think ahead. In every sport, you learn, okay, They have certain choices. They can do this, they can do this, or they can do this. So I need to think. If they do this, what am I going to do? You learn to strategize. You also learn to lose. I remember there was a kid at Calvary who we had great wrestling teams, and this kid was just getting destroyed every match. He got His first year of wrestling, he got pinned every match. And I remember he's laying there, and and we're over at the gym at Calvary, and I go, hey, Mike, you doing okay? And he goes, yeah, Dave, I, I learned something today. And I go, oh, what'd you learn? He goes, there's 48 lights on the ceiling of the gym. <laughs> <laughs> By his senior year, he placed in state and got a scholarship to Cal. And, you know, is very successful today. That's how you learn, man, by being knocked around. If you protect people from learning resilience, you'll make them failures. If people can't take a joke, or if every time somebody says something that you think is bad, that somehow you, oh, no, you hurt me. You know, I'm going to sue you. I'm going to, it's like, you're, you're a wimp. You're programmed to be a wimp at that point, man. If we're followers of Jesus, we need to be tough like the Syrophoenician woman. Now, at the same time, the, the Pharisees should have thought back at all of their heroes, every one of them lived in an atmosphere, think of Joseph. He's sold into slavery in Egypt. He's in a pagan culture with no one who believed the way that he did. He's set up, he's thrown in jail on trumped up charges, and never once was he whining about it. He just kept battling and being more resilient and more tough, and he ends up rescuing his entire family and the children of Israel in the process. About Daniel, he's a teenager, gets taken off into Babylonian captivity. He's not complaining about, oh, there's too many idols around here. These people wear weird clothes, or they're calling me by a different name, or I'm going to boycott Babylonian goods. He's like, no, I'm going to become the ruler in Babylon. I'm going to work within the system, and this is going to work. And every hero in the Old Testament was like this Syrophoenician woman. 
They were like, they didn't whine about whatever was happening to them. They didn't play the victim card. They go, okay, this happened. That means I'm going to do this. I am going to learn to respond. And it's one of the most important lessons for us to learn in life is that we can be resilient when we appreciate the opportunity to respond rather than to react. In this day and age, if only the strong survive, I worry whether, I mean, I look at the world and people are just becoming bigger and bigger babies about everything. And I look at the church, people are becoming bigger and bigger babies about everything. I wonder if anybody's going to survive. Eventually, we'll just boycott everything. And then, ah, what do we do? We can't eat. And, but, you know, Jesus is trying to explain to the disciples because they're about to enter a world that was incredibly hostile to them. I mean, at least they could interact with the Jews. But by 70 AD, the Jews are wiped out in Jerusalem. And now it's like you've got nothing but the Roman culture. And it's about to fail. It was going to be a tough, hard world that they were going to be functioning in. And they had a mission. And he had to toughen them up. This was practice. This was like, let me knock you around a little bit and point out to you, look at how tough some people are. And look what they get as a result. And so explaining that godliness is not being squeaky clean. Godliness is being responsible and resilient and hanging in there and refusing to be knocked down and defeated. Now, one of the things that happens when we discover that is that once you're resilient and responsible, you're able to look at people who are different than you in a different way. You're able to look, if you have courage, you're able to look at people with compassion. You're you're able to look like Jesus did when he looked at the crowd and he didn't go, look at all these heathens. He He looked at them and he goes, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They need somebody to go and tell them the truth. They are the way they are for a reason. And somebody needs to explain to them an alternative. It's going to be messy. It's going to be hard. You may end up losing your life doing this, but this is worth doing because your eternity is already set. These people are lost, and they need somebody who will reach out to them and help them, not somebody who pulls away from them. And so it's this, you know, I, I mean, I culturally, if you, if you study history, there were... In the arts, in music, in science, in politics, in academics, in medicine, in every field, there were Christians at the core of everything good that ever contributed to our culture and our way of life today. But somewhere along the line, through legalism or whatever, starting back in the early part of the 20th century, Christians began to pull out of all of those things. And instead, we started having Christian art and Christian music and Christian politics and Christian... And it's like, what did we do? We gave up the calling that we had to to infiltrate the world. And you don't understand Christianity if you don't understand. You are here to infiltrate the world. There's no other reason for you to be here. Not to isolate, not to be having your, our little holy clubs, not to, not to be like a football team that's in a perpetual huddle. We are here to make a difference in the world. And if we refuse to engage with the world because they offend us, 
then we become much more like Pharisees than we become like Jesus. And it's so important. The world needs people who will reach out to them, not people who just hang around with people that they agree with and fight with them over the minuscule issues and details. Infiltration is our calling, but that can only happen if you're tough enough. If, you have the, if you've taken responsibility enough to realize, I can deal with people who are wrong. I can deal with people who disagree with me. I can accept the fact that they don't have to think the way I do. And then you become resilient. Then you become tough. And you're like, I'm just going to believe what I believe. Um, that opens the door for us to do what Jesus has actually called us to do. And it's so important for us to learn that. Now, another thing that I just want to mention is that he said that what comes out of your mouth defiles a person. So speaking things that are negative and destructive end up corrupting our hearts. But is the opposite also true? I would propose to you that the scriptures teach this over and over again, and reality and and research has established it as well. What if what comes out of your mouth is positive? What if it is pure and godly and encouraging and thankful? It actually reprograms your heart. They've done lots of studies where they get people and just say, you know what? Every day I want you to say thanks for five different things in your life. And it doesn't matter who you say thanks to. Just say thanks. And the effects on the people who did this study that was actually at least equivalent to medication in terms of dealing with your level of stress and anxiety and depression and things like that. They've done the same thing with just complimenting people. If you would just compliment five people every day, you'd be amazed at what it would do to your heart to your own heart, speaking positive things. It's one of the reasons why we worship God. Yeah, it starts out as a ritual, and I get it. It's like you come to church, and oh, good, haven't missed anything. It's just worship still. And you're just looking around and make sure, oh, I hope Justin's speaking today or whatever. But, (laughs) you know, the worship is there for a reason. I get it. You're stressed. You got here. You fought with everybody getting here, and you're late, and you're, ah, oh, worship. Finally, I can click off. But that worship, even when you're not feeling it, even when you're like, the symbols are too loud, or the, you know, oh, why do they use that song, or how, what's, why is she in the band, or why is he, you know, if you can get past that and just worship God, it has a powerful effect on your heart. You are programming into your heart those things that then will ultimately flow forth from your mouth. And so I would suggest to you, if you want to be the kind of person that Jesus was teaching them to be, a good place to start is listen to what you say. Is what you say all negative? Is what you say all critical, hopeless, angry, frustration? Or are you intentionally, even though you might not be feeling it, Going, wow, it's a beautiful day. I mean, my wife Ann does this a lot. She'll look out and go, it's a gorgeous day. I'm like, are you kidding? It's gray skies. Or she'll be like, hey, it's a beautiful sunset. I'm like, that was a better one last night. But there's something about just saying it that actually does something 
to your heart. And so Jesus is teaching us that too, and I think that's something that we should think about. Finally, think about the people that followed Jesus, right? We're Christians, so we follow Jesus. Think about all the people who followed him in the New Testament. What were they like? There were almost no religious people who followed Jesus. They're kind of tough, you know, offensive sort of. The, the fishermen, they had their, their way of speaking, their way of offending. Their, they were a bunch of tough guys. And, a bunch, and women who had came from shady backgrounds. There were former prostitutes and people like that that hung out with him. One IRS agent, you had a, a zealot that, you know, that was like wanting to overthrow the government. And he, why did they follow Jesus? And why did religious people not? Because he was training them. And some people can't handle the training. But people in life who've been knocked around, who've lived enough to fail, who've struggled and wondered where their next meal was coming from, that's perfect preparation for life with Jesus. Because he's calling us. Life is kind of a boot camp. It's kind of a place where I want to see how tough you are. You want to come after me? Deny yourself and take up your cross. Oh, rich guy, you want to follow me? Okay, cool, go sell everything you have and give it away and come and follow me. When Jesus calls us, he wants us to be strong enough to be willing to put up with whatever we have to put up with because he understands the kingdom of God will not, be, will not be built by little sissies. It won't be built by people who get offended every time they hear something they don't like. The program that Jesus offers is one of saying, you want life for real? Well, you're probably going to be around a bunch of crusty people who are sometimes saying offensive things, who don't always do it all right, and they rarely follow all of the rules, and then you're going to go, man, but that was amazing. That was amazing because these people don't quit. These people don't run and hide and whimper when things don't go their way. They're in it for the long haul. And that's Jesus with his disciples, and that's Jesus to his followers every day since. It's true. If we can't learn to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, we will not thrive as the people of God. We will be completely irrelevant. If we're we're the kind of people who are just always getting our feelings hurt, hey, life isn't for you. It's never going to be that way, especially life as a Christian. Jesus has us all in training You hear something that offends you, instead of going, oh, somebody, I'm never going to shop at Walmart again or whatever, you know, and what are you going to do? Just eat Chick-fil-A and sleep on a MyPillow and you're not going to do anything else in your whole life? It's like, hey, this is the world. It's the way it is. Toughen up a little bit. Be like the Syrophoenician woman. Be like, I'm just going to keep coming. I'm going to keep living. I'm going to do this every day. And I want my kids and my grandkids and my friends to do that too. Because if we can learn to be indestructible, then we can represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're not Pharisees. And 
We're the people that just won't say no. We are resilient. We are strong. We're not identified by our sensitivity. We're identified by our resilience. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. We need this lesson, especially in a world where everybody's just such babies. And we don't know whether it's the the non-Christians or the Christians that are bigger babies, but they're all upset about something. And they're all indignant. Thank you for being for showing us what it is to be grown up. I thank you that you used a single mom to demonstrate toughness so that we would understand it's not just a masculine thing. It's a life thing. Lord, help us to represent you well and help us to make a difference in the worlds in which we find ourselves as we engage in society, as we engage with others. May we be the ones that are inoffendable like you because we just keep moving, following our God. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.